It took until Friday, but we have got the feel-good story of the week. As crime surges around the country, a poor little old grandmother was about to get into her car to drive to a chemotherapy appointment when a teenage criminal accosted her, threatened her with a gun, and tried to steal her car. That's not the feel-good part. That, that is obviously all terrible. What makes this the feel-good story of the week is what happened next. Next thing I know, he walked up talking about, give me your keys, I got a gun. And I said, baby, you better shoot me because you're not taking my car today. He pushed me to the door and I got up and I grabbed him and was hitting his ass and hitting him and fighting him. And I said, you're not going to take my car, youngin'. Grandma said when she screamed, a grandson and neighbors came running. And they all came out to help me and he ran across the street and that's when they caught him. So the neighbors caught him? Yes, yes. They caught him, and I said, oh, you going to jail today. Police came. Grandma showed us the scar from the teen snatching her keys. The police report said the would-be carjacker left in an ambulance. Grandma said she's told he's now in lockup. On 22nd Street, he must didn't know where he was. He didn't know where he was. That's what makes this story so beautiful. It's not just that the grandmother got to keep her car and make her chemotherapy appointment. It's not just that this would-be carjacker is now in the clink. It's not even just that the grandson and the neighbors who beat the little thug to within an inch of his life taught him a lesson he will not soon forget, that they got to go on with their day while the punk was hauled off in an ambulance. What is most beautiful about this story is that everybody got to see what community looks like. He didn't know where he was. This would-be criminal was not just in some undifferentiated city, as so many of us increasingly are, where anonymous individuals fend for themselves with no ties to one another. He was in a neighborhood. He was in a community. And in a community, people know each other. In a community, everybody has a role. Everybody has a place. People trust one another. People look out for one another. And as a result, they are able to defend themselves against predators who wish to do them harm. We used to have a lot of community here in the United States, less and less every single day. Maybe we could learn a lesson from this grandmother in Washington, D.C. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from E.L., who says, each day Michael's hair gets closer to God. I certainly hope so. certainly hope that's the case. It's the, a physical representation, one hopes, of a metaphysical reality. Now, when you want to convey these really important observations to me, when you want to convey any kind of observation to any of your friends, you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com, use promo code Knowles. Given the dreary economic forecasts that lie ahead, you might be looking for ways to cut back on spending. Pure Talk saves the average family over $900 a year when they switch from Verizon, ATT, or T-Mobile. That's right. You can save $900 a year on your wireless bill and still enjoy ultra-fast 5G service. Get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data for just $30 a month. Pure Talk is so sure that you're going to love your service, they're backing it up with a 100% money-back guarantee. Stop paying a fortune to Verizon, ATT, or T-Mobile. Cut your bill in half with Pure Talk. Their U.S.-based customer service team makes the switch really easy. Switch over to Pure Talk in as little as 10 minutes while keeping your phone and your phone number. Your first month is guaranteed risk 
free. I love Pure Talk. I use Pure Talk. Pure Talk saves me a ton of money on my phone. Go to puretalk.com right, right now. Enter promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to save 50% off your first month. That is puretalk.com, promo code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Speaking of criminals, Sam Brinton. Do you remember him? Sam Brinton is the former nuclear waste appointee in the Biden administration. He's the guy who's a bald-headed, mustachioed dude who frequently dresses up as a woman, who flaunts his uh, leather puppy fetish. He likes to dress men up as dogs in all sorts of leather and then do weird sexual things to them. And he likes to wear lipstick and flowing dresses and high heels. And he was feted by the media. They absolutely loved this guy, how groundbreaking. He's a transgender, pangender, whatever gender, uh, cracking the glass ceiling. And he looks so stunning. He's so brave. Look at his beautiful clothing. Then it turned out that this guy, Sam Brinton, is a thief. He got caught stealing luggage at an airport. And initially he said, oh, it was, this was just a, a mistake. I took the wrong bag. Then it turned out he's, he's taken other bags before. Then they had camera footage of him actually looking at the name tags on the bags and hiding them in his pocket, just going away. Into, and it was really, really weird. Finally, after weeks and weeks of this, it was too much, even for the Biden administration. And so they canned the guy. Now we find out that some of those flowing dresses, those big, beautiful wardrobe pieces that Sam Brinton was photographed in, even including in Vanity Fair, by the way, in fashion magazines, in high culture. It, it turns out that they were stolen from specific women. There's a woman who posted <laughs> on Instagram. She said, hi, I'm a fashion designer. This is a, this is a custom piece that I had made. And uh, here's Sam Brinton wearing that piece. And I lost my luggage in 2018, and I'm not saying for sure it was him, but it's hard to explain how he ended up wearing my dress if he didn't steal my luggage. So this appears to have been going on for years. Uh, he, he, there were other people who came forward and said, you know, here's me wearing this unique sort of custom piece. And then you look later on, and uh, here's Sam Brenton wearing it shortly after I lost it, and he's being photographed by the media doing, doing the very same thing making it into magazines. So what is this about? Is this because Sam Brinton couldn't afford clothing? I suppose he probably couldn't afford the high-end clothing that he'd like to steal, but I think it's about more than that. People can generally purchase clothing. You can go to any inexpensive shop today and buy any kind of flamboyant clothing. This was obviously some weird fetish for this guy. He's a guy who is most well-known not for his career, not for his knowledge of nuclear waste, not for any virtue or excellence that he's engaged in. He's most well known for indulging weird fetishes. And it would seem that stealing women's clothing at the airport was part of that. And it's, it's just a sad lesson that this guy had a lot of things going for him. I'm not going to say he had everything going for him, but he had a lot of things going for him. He was in an important role in a presidential administration. He had impressive academic degrees. I think he went to MIT, but he just couldn't get over this problem that he had, this weird disordered desire. Actually, many weird disordered desires. And those weird disordered desires ended up being his undoing. And the, the thing you always ask people when they, when they get their comeuppance is, was it worth it? Was it worth it? The guy who loses his family because he slept with his secretary, was it worth it? You ask the guys, was it worth it? They always say no. 
You ask Sam Brinton, you, you lost your job in a presidential administration. You're now effectively unemployable, certainly at that height of your profession. Was it worth it so that you could wear some weird red dress that you took from the airport? I assume he would say no. Is it worth it to become a, a laughingstock internationally so that you can lead another depraved man around on a leash and a leather collar? Was that really worth it just so that you could be physically titillated for five minutes or, or whatever? No, but these people can't escape it. This is a real danger. It's, it's this joke that Drew tells, Drew Clavin tells, about the guy with an orange for a head. The short version of the joke is guy walks into a bar, he's got an orange for a head. The bartender says, okay, I got to ask, what's going on? He says, all right, well, you know, you're not going to believe it, but I was on a beach. I find a, a little genie bottle. I rub the bottle. A genie comes out, says, I give you three wishes. I said, I don't believe that. He says, no, I do. Try it. He says, okay, first wish, I want a million dollars. Knock, knock, knock on the door. Pat Sajak, here's a check for a million dollars. Okay. Uh, second wish, I want, I want to sleep with all the Playboy bunnies of the year. Knock, knock, knock. It's all the Playboy bunnies of the year. They walk up. Isn't that unbelievable? Bartender says, okay, I get it, but how'd, how'd you end up with the orange? He said, well, here's where I think I messed up. For my third wish, I asked to have an orange for a head. And, and half the people think this joke is hilarious, and half the people have no idea what the joke is about. The joke is about the perversity of the human heart and, and how these little, weird, bizarre, shameful perversions can be people's undoing. Sam Brinton was not the only guy who dressed in weird vaguely satanic, sometimes not so vaguely satanic ways in the Biden administration. You remember the deputy chief of the monkeypox response, Demetrios something or other, was this guy who photographed himself, flaunted himself, wearing all sorts of satanic imagery, not just leather and whips and chains, pentagrams on his chest, a pentagram leather harness on top of a pentagram tattoo that the guy put on his chest. You think, what is it with this? Why is it that we're watching the Grammys and Sam Smith is dancing around like a kind of millennial lesbian Satan figure, dancing and jiggling around with all these kind of demonic looking transsexuals around him? Everybody's applauding. The first lady of the United States is in the audience applauding. Why do we see all of this imagery? Why are, are the, the liberals in New York raising an actual demon statue on top of a courthouse in Madison Square? Why are they doing that? <laughs> What, what is it about this imagery? And then yesterday I see on the cover of Vogue Italy, Giselle Bundchen, Giselle, the former Mrs. Brady. She's just divorced Tom Brady. Giselle Bundchen considered one of the most beautiful women in the world. And I look at this picture, she's unrecognizable. And what is the picture of? It's her in all red and her, her skin is colored all white, just white as a corpse then red all over her lips. Her hair is dyed bright red, fiery red, as it's being described in, the, in articles. A really, really dark around the eyes, fiery red eyebrows. And then, if you look at her head, you realize her head is placed right between the O and the G, so that you have an almost perfectly symmetrical lines coming from the O and the G that are in the placement of and in the shape of horns. And then you look at her arms and her hand placement and her arms and her hand placement are in this very strange way. Her right arm is pointed up. Her hands are in this, her fingers are in this kind of odd direction. And then her left hand is pointed to the side, not quite down, but certainly further down than, than the right arm. And I don't, I don't think I'm going too far down the rabbit hole here to say this is a demonic pose. Everything about, and it, not just, it's demonic 
in a pretty uh, identifiable way with one of the most famous depictions of a demon. That would be Eliphaz Levy's drawing of Baphomet. Many people have seen it. It's probably the most well-known occult image. And it's of this demon with horns coming out of his head in the same shape and uh, with wings behind him that are that we see mirrored on this red dress that Giselle Bündchen is wearing because the dress has these kind of wings that come out of it. The arms are in not exactly the same position, but a very similar position, almost the same. The picture of Baphomet is a kind of transgender picture. It's of a goat head and then breasts, a woman's torso, and then a male rest of the body. As I, I made the point that Media Matters made fun of me four weeks ago, but my publicists were, right, were, were really helpful, I think, in putting this out there because it was obviously a true observation that m- many traditional depictions of the demonic are androgynous and sort of trans. And the, the question that you got to ask yourself, even if you think all oh, this is really bizarre and you're not religious and you don't believe in any of this stuff is, okay, let's say, let's just pretend for a second. God doesn't exist. There's no such thing as good or evil. Devil doesn't exist. Okay, let's pretend all of that. Why do all these people dress this way? Why do all these people in positions of power accepted by the liberal culture, why do they all use the exact same symbolism, which is ancient symbolism, which is for the devil? It's, it's kind of weird. Even if you don't believe in any of this, you never go to church, you got to at least notice that strange coincidence that all of these people who are enthralled to the powers and principalities of this world, they all use the same images. It all looks like demons. I, you know, I'm like the guy on the History Channel. There's that guy who, when he's trying to explain seemingly inexplicable phenomena that are a little bit off, he'll say, well, it's, it's aliens. Uh, it's kind of like that now for me, except it, it's demons is what it is. Now, when you want to protect your body, you got to check out Jace Medical. Right now, go to jacemedical.com, promo code Knowles. Do not be caught unprepared. Have you gone to the grocery store and not been able to find something as simple as eggs? Just no eggs there in the grocery store like happened to sweet little Elise a couple weeks ago. Then maybe you go back, you do find them. They're almost $9 per dozen. There are shortages you should be concerned. Shortages don't just happen during crises like global pandemics or natural disasters. They are happening every day. They seem to be happening more and more every day. You need to be prepared for them. A great way to start preparing is with the Jace case from Jace Medical. The Jace case is a pack of five different courses of antibiotics that you can use to treat a whole host of bacterial illnesses. All you've got to do is fill out a simple online form. Your information will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. Being prepared not only brings peace of mind, but also helps you save time and money in the long run. Go to jacemedical.com, enter code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for a discount on your order. That is jacemedical.com, promo code Knowles. There's an old line from Baudelaire, which is the greatest trick the devil ever played is to convince us that he doesn't exist. I think that might be old. I think that might be over. That was true. It, it was true for the scientific post-enlightenment era. I think the exact quote, it's in French, but a good translation is the finest trick the devil played is to convince you he doesn't exist. That, that is what happened for the last 300 years. Before the last 300 years, everybody thought the devil exists in every culture on earth for all of human history. For the last 300 years, the devil kind of went into hiding. Why did the devil go into hiding? Well, because scientism accomplished his goals, I think, better than he could. 
scientism convinced people that God doesn't exist, and so the devil kind of went away. But you're noticing now that there are many more overt depictions of this weird occult kind of behavior. Why is that? I suspect it's because people are losing their faith in science. I suspect it's because you're seeing the the tyranny of the Fauci's of the world start to crack the authority of modern medical science to give perfectly natural explanations for all the sorts of phenomena we see. That's breaking down a little bit. So I think the devil's becoming a little more brazen. That's what I, you can call me crazy, but explain to me all these weird depictions. In fact, speaking of the occult and politics, we've got a new presidential candidate, not on the Republican side, but on the Democrat side. That would be Marianne Williamson. You might remember Marianne Williamson. She ran in 2020 on the Democrat side, and she became most well-known for her description of what's really going on in the political scene. I assure you, I lived in Gross Point. What happened in Flint would not have happened in Gross Point. This is part of the dark underbelly of American society. The racism, the bigotry, and the entire conversation that we're having here tonight, if you think any of this wonkiness is going to deal with this dark psychic force of the collectivized hatred that this president is bringing up in this country, then I'm afraid that the Democrats are going to see some very dark days. We need to say it like it is. It's bigger than Flint. It's all over this country. That was the line that she got made fun of for the most. But actually, it was the most coherent line that Marianne Williamson's probably ever said. She said there are dark psychic forces at play. Yeah, that's basically true. Yeah, of course, there's a spiritual reality undergirding physical phenomena. And there are dark psychic forces, dark spiritual forces, at least, in politics. Now, the problem with Marianne Williamson is she's on the wrong side of it. She's one of these new age occult type people. But she is recognizing it. She's she's definitely closer to the truth than the agnostic, atheist-type people who say there's no such thing as metaphysical or spiritual reality. Well, she's in the race now. She says, I wouldn't be running for president if I didn't believe I could contribute to harnessing the collective sensibility that I feel is our greatest hope at this time. (laughs) And so all this new agey, weird talk. But I'm glad to see her in the race. She was one of my favorite characters from 2020. And I seriously like, beyond just how entertaining she is, I like that she reminds people that as Cardinal Manning pointed out, all human conflict, certainly all politics, is ultimately religious. Speaking of people who want to be president, Pete Buttigieg finally made it to East Palestine, Ohio. This is three weeks after that train derailment that sent all sorts of poison spewing into the air, into the ground, potentially affecting the water. Pete Buttigieg finally makes it there a day after Donald Trump showed up in East Palestine and made a big to-do, big rally, brought lots of supplies, bought people McDonald's, made fun of the Biden administration, demanded that the Biden administration shows up. Finally, we get Mayor Pete. There's a lot of trauma in this community, a lot of emotion, and as you noted, a lot of politics too. Now that you've seen the wreckage and spoken to the people, was it a mistake not to come here sooner? What I tried to do was balance two things. My desire to be involved and engaged and on the ground, which is uh, uh, how I am uh, generally wired to act, and my desire to follow the norm of transportation secretaries, allowing NTSB to really uh, lead the initial stages of the public-facing work. I'll do some thinking about uh, whether I got that balance right. 
but I think the most important thing is, first of all, making sure that the residents here have what they need. Huh? Yeah, well, I was really torn because I wanted to completely ignore all of you people, you disgusting, uh, bitter clinging, Bible thumping, flyover, deplorable, irredeemable people. I wanted to totally ignore your plight. But then the former president, Donald Trump, showed up yesterday and brought you all some water and bought you McDonald's. And so now I've got to come down here and, and pose for photos in a construction hat and a, a orange vest like a dime store David Hodo from the village people. So uh, that's what, that's the reason uh, that I'm here right now. Can I please leave yet? I uh, actually am about to break out in hives from having to be around all of you disgusting peasants. Uh, <laughs> it's so pathetic. If you look at the pictures of Pete Buttigieg, who speaks well. I actually want to be fair and give credit where credit is due. He is perfectly glib. He has an answer for everything. It's not the most persuasive answer, but he gives the answer in exactly the same kind of self-assured and soothing and almost almost uh, hypnotizing way that all management consultants speak. Oh, well, you know, we're just going to, uh, we're going to create some more efficiencies and some new processes for our systems here at this organization so that we can have a little bit more synergy between all the departments. And he ends a sentence, you say, what did you say? Did you just say anything? But he's very good at that. But it just looks ridiculous, especially him in the hard hat and the glasses and the vest. It just looks so absurd. He obviously doesn't want to be there. He doesn't belong there. He doesn't like these people. He doesn't, he just doesn't fit in. Trump, however, paradoxically, this billionaire playboy from New York fits in with these people. These are his people. Trump standing in the McDonald's, talking to the cashier about how he knows the menu much better than she does, passing out hats, talking about how great it was that the manager made egg McMuffins for the people and mocking the Biden administration. He's, and, and Trump was asked, hey, what did you bring here to East Palestine? He says, I brought the federal government. Boom, just walks out. Much more authentic. I'm somewhat skeptical of the importance of authenticity in politics, authenticity in everything. We're in an age right now that is obsessed with being true to your authentic self. No, I think you should be true to goodness and virtue and truth and beauty and God. You should, that's what you should be true to. Many of the things that you could be uh, authentic about when it comes to your own desires are actually pretty harmful. However, in politics, there's something to be said for knowing your lane, knowing your place, not trying to pretend to be somebody else. You remember in 2016, Donald Trump absolutely destroying all of the other candidates because Trump is very funny and he's a showman. And so you got Lion, Lion Ted and Low Energy Jeb and Little Marco, and he's making fun of disgusting John Kasich, and he's making fun of all these people. And most of them were smart enough not to punch back too hard because it's a losing proposition. Little Marco tried to do it. Marco Rubio tried to push back and do his own Rickles routine at Donald Trump about how Trump has small hands and you know what that means. And it just fell completely flat. It fell completely flat. It was the first time that I started to think, huh, Trump might have his mojo back. Trump might have his, his quick response back, his showbiz feel. His, he's there. You know, I am as skeptical of how the 2020 election was conducted as anybody. <laughs> I've been pretty clear about that. And it's a difference between me and a lot of other prominent conservatives is I totally grant that there were a ton of shenanigans and rigging. And I'm very skeptical of what happened on election night. However, 
I think this Ohio episode proves Trump needs to stop harping on the 2020 election, and he needs to start talking about the forgotten men and women of America again, and that's going to be how he wins 2024. If he focuses on how he lost 2020 or it was stolen from him or whatever, it's just people don't care. Even people who agree with that just don't really care that much anymore. But if he talks about the forgotten men and women who Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden want nothing to do with, and he goes and gives them water and hands them out Big Macs, that's going to be much, much more persuasive, much more authentic. You know, tomorrow, Yes or No, the greatest interview show on the internet is back with a new episode with our very own Ben Shapiro. That's right. It finally happened. Ben and I had a great time duking it out over drinks, testing our knowledge as members of the Daily Wire family. You may not have friends or family as quick-witted as Ben Shapiro, who can own so many people with facts and logic, but you can still bring the fun home with yes or no, the game. Currently, half the country has no accountability or ability to reason. And it's just a coincidence. Half of the people are women. <laughs> ah, this, is such a, this is such a trap right here. Okay, okay. One can here we go. Okay, all right. Here uh, we go. One, two, three. It's offensive. It's unsafe. It's conspiratorial. It's a great time to play with up to nine people. You can determine where you all land on the most compelling controversies and greatest ills of modern society. This is a high quality game. We've put it together. It's a lot of fun. It's a great way to spice up your parties. It's sold out before and it'll sell out again. So pre-order now to secure your copy. Go to dailywire.com shop today. Also, you know, the great thing about Jordan Peterson is he dispenses all of his wisdom with tough love in equal measure. You will find plenty of both in his new five-part series out on Daily Wire Plus called Vision and Destiny. The series is designed to help you find clarity and direction. This is badly needed. A lot of people have no idea who they are, especially when it comes to sex, gender. Here is a clip from Vision and Destiny explaining that. What is gender? Well, it's what people feel they are. It's like, yeah, that's your theory, eh? That's a stupid theory. There's, it's not going anywhere, that theory. And so that's, that's just a theory that enables you to claim something like the primacy of your narcissistic whim. It has nothing to do with the careful delineation of what actually constitutes identity. And so it's complex because there, are, there is variability in masculinity and femininity on top of the binary biological substructure. And so that also means that you have to have a certain amount of tolerance for role variability, and you should, because there are masculine women and there are feminine men, and it's harder for them in some real sense to adopt the role that would be easily commensurate with their biological identity because they share many features, temperamental features that are characteristic of the opposite sex. But that doesn't mean that they're born in the wrong body. The first two episodes are out right now. New episodes are coming online every week. It's all exclusive for Daily Wire Plus members. Join now at dailywire.com slash subscribe to watch Vision and Destiny. Speaking of the Biden administration, Corrine Jean-Pierre, White House Press Secretary, is now bragging about how few white people work for Joe Biden. 
I want to take the opportunity to, to lay out uh, what how diverse the president's cabinet has been, how diverse the president's administration has been. Uh, the cabinet is majority people of color for the first time in history. The cabinet is majority female for the first time in history. A majority of White House senior staff identify as female. Forty percent of White House senior staff identify as part of the racially diverse communities. And a record seven assistants to the president's are openly LGBTQ+. So again, this is something that the president prides himself on. Uh, that he actually has taken action to show uh, the diversity of this administration. I'm no math expert. I haven't quite crunched all the numbers, but that seems like a lot. I'm not saying it's necessarily bad that it's a lot of non-white people and gay people and women and this, but the whole argument for that was that we need these roles to be representative of the population. However, the numbers that she just put out are not representative. But the numbers she just showed is that if, if more than half of the cabinet is not white, then that's not representative of the American public. The American public is still over 60% white. If she's saying that seven special assistants to the president are LGBT identifying, that's way higher than the number of people who identify as LGBT in the general population. So I'm not saying necessarily that's a bad thing, but why is it a good thing? Why is it the sort of thing you brag about? Because if it were the other way, if she came out and she said, listen, nine out of 10 people who work for this administration, they're white guys. Okay, we want to assure you this is the most white administration that we have ever had in America. If she had said that, it would be public outrage. There'd be calls for, for Joe Biden's head on a pike because it wouldn't represent the population. But the, the current Biden administration is not representative. And they're bragging about that because obviously the real motivation here is not to have our institutions reflect the racial or sexual or whatever makeup of the people. It's just that our popular culture hates white people. It's that our, at least our ruling culture, hates white people, hates dudes, hates conservatives, hates Christian people, hates anyone who likes tradition in any way. And I, I promise you, they would not be bragging about how, how many black or female cabinet members they have if one of those cabinet members was Clarence Thomas, if one of those Clarence uh, cabinet members, rather, was... Candace Owens. They would not be bragging about that because neither Clarence Thomas nor Candace Owens are considered black and Candace is not considered a woman because they don't, they don't check those boxes. So they, they, they use these, uh, these kind of racial and sexual politics in a way that is now just overtly anti-white, anti-man, anti-Christian, anti-Jew, anti-Muslim when you see the touting of LGBT. That's very bad. We sh- I know conservatives don't even want to address that. They say, oh, well, here we go again. We should address that. That's really wrong. It's really wrong for our, our public figures, for our institutions, for the president of the United States and his spokesman to just openly come out and say, yeah, we want as few white people as we can possibly get. We want as few men as we can possibly get. We want as few people who follow a traditional sexual ethic as we can possibly get. That's wrong. That's very bad. It's a bad thing. And we should, we should say it. And we should not be afraid to say it for fear of being called racist or sexist or thisist or phobic or whatever. All the nonsense terms they use, who cares? Who cares what those people think? 
Who cares what the, the left calls us? It isn't true, first of all. It isn't true that we don't like black people. It isn't true that we don't like women. It isn't, it isn't true, even if you view homosexuality with moral program, it isn't even true that you don't like those people. So who cares what the libs say about you? I certainly don't. I certainly, it's very freeing not to care about that. They look ridiculous. Oh my goodness, one of the biggest representatives of this, of this anti-white, anti-Christian, anti-American, anti-tradition, anti-conservative ideology is this woman, Angela Davis. She's a, a communist terrorist who was implicated in the murder of four people, and now she's fed it on the left. She's an actual overt communist. I'm not just calling her a pinko. She's an actual open communist, and she's been fed by the radical left for many, many decades now. Well, she just found out that Angela Davis's lineage is a little more complicated than she let on. Any idea what you're looking at? That is a list of the passengers on the Mayflower. No, I can't believe this. No. My ancestors did not come here on the Mayflower. You, your ancestors came no. on the Mayflower. No, no, no. You no. are descended no, no, no. from one of the 101 people who sailed on the Mayflower. Oof. That's a little bit too much <laughs> to deal with right now. Did you ever in your wildest dreams think that you may have descended from people who laid never the foundation never for this country never <laughs> never 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 no and by the way it wasn't just any mayflower passenger it was william brewster that she descended from who is one of the most prominent members of the whole mayflower voyage in the plymouth colony i googled it because i also descend from mayflower people i said no no please no no don't let me who did she descend from please don't tell me i'm cousins with angela oh whoo. Okay, I'm not cousins with Angela Davis. I'm very pleased to report. But Angela Davis is going to try to cover this up as much as she can. She she doesn't want to talk about how she's descended from the Mayflower. Because if she does, it's going to complicate her story. Is she still going to be able to complain about all the terrible people who founded America and how they're evil and racist and bigoted and this and that? She descends from them. Maybe she could. The one way that she could is she'd have to hate her ancestors which is actually what leftism is all about. A wise friend of mine explained to me once that leftism essentially boils down to, screw you, dad. That's what leftism is. The leftist people that that are in your life, I bet 99 out of 100 of them hate their father, their literal actual father, just one generation up. They certainly hate their ancestors. They certainly hate their past. That's what it boils down to. And so in a way, this is very, very fitting. It probably won't change a thing about Angela Davis's communist advocacy. Yeah, she's descended from these people and she hates them. She hates her her forebears and her past, just like all the other libs do. Before we get to the mailbag, speaking of genealogy, really, really great news. HB1 and SB1 just passed in the Tennessee State House. This is the Protecting Children from Genital Mutilation, Gender Mutilation Act. Uh, prevents minors in Tennessee from initiating transgender-related puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and surgeries. Really, really good news. It means that if you don't want kids to be chemically castrated, you don't want kids to be mutilated, you don't want kids to be sterilized, this is a really great step in the right direction. And you might recall that our pal Matt Walsh went down and testified at the State House about how important these sorts of things are 
All of which is to say, we've, we've all talked about this stuff for a very long time. The mission of the Daily Wire is from the public, or from the private sector rather, to change culture. We're not out there passing laws. We're not out there running for office. We're in the culture. We're making movies. We're putting shows out every day. We're throwing rallies. Matt held a huge, I mean, Matt obviously talks about transgenderism constantly. He had the What is a Woman movie. Matt went out, had the rally to end the mutilation of children. He has been very focused on that. Daily Wire puts out What is a Woman. We've, we've changed the culture a lot. And we can only do that because of you. So it's, a, you really, it's really your dollars. When you join, you become a member of Daily Wire. You can see great cultural effects. And then Andrew Breitbart famously would say politics is downstream of culture. Sometimes when you get enough going on in the culture, sometimes you see ripple effects in politics. And that can be a great thing. You know, this mailbag is sponsored by Pure Talk. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, enter code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to get 50% off your first month. Take it away. Hey, Michael. First of all, I have to say thank you for the various shout-outs you've given my late father, Hal Reiney, who wrote and voiced the Morning in America campaign for Ronald Reagan. Now for my question. I got sober two years ago, and that's when I started to believe in God. Fast forward a year later and I meet an amazing Catholic man who strengthens my faith even more and whom I was lucky enough to marry last Saturday. Together we go to church every week, I pray daily, attend faith formation classes, and am on the women's club board at our church. Here's the problem. I still don't totally believe in everything the Bible says. I want to, but I was born and raised in the Church of Liberalism, aka San Francisco, and it all still feels so foreign to me. I want to be united with my husband and our future children, who will of course be raised Catholic. So, Michael, can I or should I convert even if I'm not a true believer at this point, merely an aspiring one? Or should I wait, and if so, what more do you suggest I do to help push me closer to the Word of God? In the words of my father via Bartles and James, thank you for your support. First of all, that is so cool about your father. Morning in America is one of the all-time great political advertisements. That's fabulous. And then very cool, what's going on in your life? You're saying, now, I don't totally understand everything. I still have lots of questions and some holdups. Should I, though, I'm, I'm drawn to church, I'm drawn to God, so should I take that leap and be baptized or confirmed or part of the church? Yes, of course you should. There's a great line from St. John Henry Newman on this issue. John Henry Newman wrote, 10,000 difficulties do not make one doubt. You have questions about the church because you now were raised in the church of liberalism. You've converted or you're in the process of converting and you're so drawn to the real church. You say, but I don't understand everything. Yeah, and you're not going to. You're not going to. If you could comprehend every single thing about the faith, if you could comprehend God, he wouldn't be God. If you could comprehend every single thing about the the church, well, by golly, that would put you ahead of, I guess, just about every bishop, every pope, every doctor of the church, every theologian, every... No, it's much greater than you. And 10,000 difficulties do not make one doubt. You... uh, you especially see this with the Catholic faith, though certain Protestant denominations would, would get this too. Eastern Orthodoxy would, would get this too. 
And John Henry Newman's a good example here because John Henry Newman was a Protestant and then as in the Oxford movement, he, he converts and becomes a Catholic priest and then a cardinal and then a saint. Uh, the question is, where is the authority? Are you one of these people who says, well, I have to perfectly rationally understand every single thing myself and discover it myself in order for me to believe that it is true? If so, a lot of people feel that way these days, but if so, you are still in the thrall of liberalism and rationalism and modernity. It's a very popular view, but it's a very silly view. Or are you of the opinion that you understand many things, you want to examine many things yourself, you have your own conscience, you have your own rational faculties, but you're not going to understand everything. And so you defer in, in certain matters to the wisdom of the ages and you accept the authority of the church in particular on certain questions. And then your understanding will catch up with your belief over time. And if it really doesn't, I suppose you could apostatize. But I strongly suspect that it will catch up over time. But it's simply a fact that the church, even by virtue of just existing for 2,000 years, is going to have a lot of things to know about it, to know about her. And you are going to take a little while to understand that. But you can accept the authority of the church. You can accept God. You can, you can believe these things before you totally understand them. Because you'll never totally, you'll never totally understand them. But you will see them more and more clearly every day. Wonderful, wonderful news. Okay, next question. Hey, Michael Knowles. I just wanted to get your opinion on the fact that my girlfriend is pregnant and I am 17 years old. I have been living with my grandmother. I live with my brother also. Take care of my brother. Any advice? Thank you. Okay, pal. First thing, take a deep breath. First thing, don't do anything because that's a very scary situation, I am sure. And so when people are in really scary situations where they feel very threatened, that's, that's when we can take rash action and are more inclined to do immoral things. That's when we're most susceptible to falling into that. So just take a deep breath. You know, I suspect since you're calling in with this question, you know I am not going to tell you to go down to the Planned Parenthood clinic and go get an abortion. A lot of people are tempted to do that. And they're tempted to do that because they mistakenly believe that if they just go down there and kill a baby, then we can all just pretend this never happened. If, we just, if I just hurry and go do this, it's like it never happened. Take a breath. Catch up with what is going on in reality right now. You have a child. You currently have a child. There's no undoing it. There's no going back. There's no putting the whiskey back in the bottle. And you have a child. I don't know exactly where you are in life. There are some, not very many, but some 17-year-olds who are ready to go strike out on their own and get a job and, I don't know, start a business, raise a family. There are some. Not very many are capable of doing that today. But I do know some. In fact, one of my bosses did that very same thing right around that age. Uh, so maybe you're that kind of guy. Maybe you are not capable of taking care of a child right now, and maybe your girlfriend is also not capable of taking care of a child right now. In which case, adoption would be a real plausible option. However, you have to also consider this is your child. And sometime down the line, you might think, wow, I wish I had raised my child. You may think that. I'm, I don't know. I don't know your situation. I don't know your girlfriend's situation. Only you know that. 
So now that you're thinking of all these things, you're sitting on the bed, you're taking the deep breaths. The, the next public thing you should do, next thing you should do once you leave your room is talk to your girlfriend about that. Okay, what do you want to do? What are you thinking? How are you? If your girlfriend says, I want to get an abortion, say, don't do that. Do not do that. If your girlfriend says, I don't want to raise a child, I'm not going to raise a child right now. I don't want to get married. I don't want to do, do any of these things. And she's absolutely firm about that. And she says, that we're, um, we're going to get an abortion. Or this, then, you, then maybe say no abortion, but maybe adoption. There are crisis pregnancy centers. There are wonderful crisis pregnancy centers available. I can tweet at me, tweet at me, send me an email. I can give you a list of them. Maybe your girlfriend says, I don't want to give the baby up for adoption. I want to raise the baby. Okay. If that is what's going to happen, you should get married. And it'll be very hard and you're not going to have a lot of money and you're going to have to go to school and you're going to have to, or some kind of education program, and you're going to have to get a job and you're going to have to scrimp and save and work very hard and try to get a lot of money. But it's been done before. You can do that. You should also make sure that your girlfriend understands the reality right now. You both have a baby. The two options available to you are give the baby up for adoption, which can be a beautiful, wonderful thing. Get married, raise the baby. I can't give you the answer on which of those two things to do. But those, those are the two options. Do not just have the baby and then maybe consider getting married in five years. Don't do that. Don't get an abortion. Don't, if you are going to raise the baby, don't be a degenerate and go out all the time and act like a 17-year-old. That is foreclosed to you. You cannot do that anymore. You have to act like a grown man and an adult. Look those two options dead straight in the face and, and think about yourself 10 years, 20 years from now and what you're going to, not just what 17-year-old scared, terrified, shocked you wants, but also think about 27-year-old you, 37-year-old you. And you might come to the conclusion and say, it would be better for the baby and for us if I give this baby up for adoption. And I, and I will accept the regret that will come with that later or that may come with that later. Or you might say, no, I don't want to give up my first child for adoption. But that means I, I'm not going to get to behave like a degenerate teenager and I'm not going to get to go have other girlfriends and I'm going to have to get married and I'm going to have to settle down. And I'm going to have to grow up real quick. Those are your two options. And then pick one and stick with it. Next question. Hello, Nostradamus. Daily Wire pseudonym Jason Todd from Connecticut. Thank you for taking my question. The question is, if you could ask Satan any one question, what would it be and why? This question came to me when I was listening to Young Heretics and Spencer Clavin was talking about Paradise Lost. And I was asking myself this question, but for me, it has always been rather vindictive along the lines of how is the making a heaven out of hell and hell out of heaven thing going, buddy. And then I chuckled to myself. So I was wondering if you had a more cogent and reasoned question for the Prince of Lies and Father of Evil and the Prince of this world. Thank you. I'm going to ask you to think about that last part of your question. You said, I wanted to know if you have, you know, a more cogent or interesting question for the Father of Lies and prince of evil in this world. Why would I have a question for the father of lies? What, what good could possibly come out of that? What truth could come out of a question that I pose to the father of lies? What good could come out of talking to the prince of evil? Nothing. I don't want anything to do with Satan. 
I don't want to talk to Satan. I don't want to look at Satan. I don't want Satan to know my name. I just, I don't want anything from him. I reject Satan and all his evil works and all his empty promises. Go away. I don't want it. I, you know, it's funny. We, ever since the Sam Smith thing, demons and the devil have come up now and again <laughs> in commentary and on this show. And I go back to what C.S. Lewis said about this. You have to think about demons enough to remember that they exist because it's a real threat. Just like you want to remember that lions and tigers and bears and cockroaches exist. Just to, to kind of guard yourself against them. Say, oh, okay, I got to put the trap back out here. All right, let's get out of here. But you don't want to think about them too much. That can be an even worse problem. I, th- I think about demons like cockroaches, actually. I just think they're gross. I don't want them near me. They actually can pose kind of health, health threats over time. Demons can pose much more of a threat, obviously, than cockroaches can. But they're just kind of these just ugly, disgusting things. And I just don't want anything to do with them. I don't want to be near them. I don't want to look. And just, ugh, gross, gross, go away. Okay, I want one more voicemail bag question. I come to call upon Nostradamus for this particular question. Uh, conservatives have been floating the idea of putting in competency tests for any public official over the age of 70 who wants to remain in office or run for re-election or run for election for the first time. Um, Nikki Haley recently floated this as part of her announcement that she was running for president. And I just wanted to see if you could give a vision into your future of how you think that'll be implemented. Because my question is, who's writing the tests? Because the way that our whole bureaucracy has been run by the left for decades at this point, I can easily see a scenario where there's a question on this test about, for example, transgenderism. And if you don't tow the left's line on transgenderism, maybe they decide you're not fit to be in office. Yeah. So is that something you see happening in the future? Or am I just a crazy, kooky conspiracy theorist? Yeah, I don't like the idea of the age tests, the competency tests for president. We have an age and competency test. It's called an election. You, you run, and if you do better than the other candidates, then you, you passed. You pass the test. You get you get the nomination and then you get to run. The reason that this idea is coming up now is because the leading Republican candidate for president is Donald Trump and he's older. I mean, he's a young, vibrant man in his own words, but he's older. And so the younger candidates are just using this attack on him because it's convenient, I think. I think when the candidates who are proposing this, it's not just Nikki, other candidates have proposed this, other pundits have proposed this. Uh, But I think once they're older, they're not going to be calling for these competency tests quite so much. So yeah, I I don't like the idea. We have a competency test. That's why I'm skeptical of term limits too. We have term limits. It's called an election. People can vote. If they don't like the person, they can throw the person out. If they don't, uh, by the way, whatever you want to say about Trump, the guy is more competent He's got more energy than many politicians, half or two thirds of his age. So yeah, Biden's got his own problems. Biden was not the brightest bulb even 10 years ago. I don't think it's an age problem. The rest of the show continues now. We are going into fake headline Friday. I need your help. Help me identify the fake headline among the real headlines that Mr. Davies has given me. You don't want to miss it. Go to dailywire.com. Slash Knowles. Use code Knowles at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. 